Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am Samantha, the Drug-Free Communities Grant Coordinator for Breakwater and your host for today's podcast. I had such a great time sitting down with Alex Belleville from Mirrorless Productions for this conversation. Alex and I have gotten to know each other while he worked to bring the Coalition's vision for a PSA-style video to life over the past several months. We sat down and recorded this podcast a few weeks ago, so you'll hear us talking about October as Substance Use Prevention Month, which of course is now passed. You'll also hear us talk about the PSA video, which I am happy to share is being released soon. Make sure you check out our website, www.breakwaterwi.org, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on social media so you don't miss it. I'd like to take this opportunity to send a huge thank you to everyone who helped bring the video to life. We had a great group of teenagers who'd volunteered their time and talents, Valley Christian allowed us to use a classroom before the school year started, and Star Protection and Gold Cross Ambulance sent the most amazing team members as well. A few coalition members are even on camera for this project. This has been a labor of love for so many, and it was such a treat to watch it move from idea to reality. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as Alex and I enjoyed recording it. how are you? I am good. Thank you for doing the podcast with me today. I'm happy to be here today. So why don't we take a minute to tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah, I am Alex Belleville, owner of Mirrorless Productions, a video production company here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, I consider myself a filmmaker first and foremost. I've been making videos for about uh, going on 10 years. It's a long time. It is. I'd say about eight, but you know, getting close to 10 I truly, I love what I do, and uh, it's just a dream come true to be able to work with so many different people and organizations and make videos for a living day in and day out. So speaking of loving what you do, you recently, or you have been, I should say, we're not done yet, you've been working on a really fun project with Breakwater. Yes, I have. I am super excited about that. I'm just going to say on record, that is like my favorite project of 2020. Sorry, other clients. <laughs> I mean, we are doing something that just, I feel like in some ways hasn't been done before, but it's also very unique. You know, when we came to you guys and you came to us about your video needs, we very quickly talked about making this creative short film that was really more like a, it's a PSA video is what it is, but it has this short film style and it's a couple minutes long. And when you think of a lot of PSA videos that have been done before in the past, you know, whether a couple years ago or the, you know, videos that we saw on TV growing up. They were 30-second spots, you know, and and this is way different. I think if you saw this and you saw it on, let's say, you're scrolling on social media, it would just kind of stop you in your tracks, and you would want to watch this, and that is the goal. (laughs) I have shared with you multiple times. I am so, so excited to see the final product. I Mm -hmm. think it's going to be really fun um, and really amazing, and just the fact that you're so excited about it tells me it's worth being excited for. (laughs) Um, But just to clarify a little bit or add a little context, we wanted to do the video, and we being Breakwater, the coalition, Mm -hmm. wanted to put together a video, a PSA type thing that really showed the impact of substance use from multiple different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So from children to parents to EMTs and paramedics, law enforcement, teachers, kind of the whole scope um, of, of community, really, because substance use and addiction and recovery are community issues, not individual problems. 
And Breakwater, of course, is a coalition who we work to reduce substance use throughout the community, prevent substance use throughout the community. But when we came to you with this project, why did you get so excited about it or what made you want to really jump on and run with it? Yes. Um, you know, I'm pretty, I'll be pretty transparent in that answer, in that answer where I do have, you know, a, a, you know, history of substance use and changing my life around all at a young age. You know, I'm 32 now, but at 22, uh, really from the ages of 18 to 22 for four years, um, I really struggled, you know, struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol. And so I do have this, it, it's a subject that's very dear to my ha- heart. It's something that I've always been very vocal about. I give a lot of credit to me changing my life around and all the work that I had to do in my 20s, truly to get where I am, how self-aware I had to be, the help I had to get from treatment to going to meetings, to meeting people, to constantly be working on myself. That is why I'm at where I'm at today. And I try and never forget that. But so all the work that I do, I try and find a personal attachment to it. So when you guys came to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this, this hits home, you know, very much so. Awesome. And we love seeing those stories, right? Everyone loves a, a success story, right? The recovery stories are huge. And I think just people like you who are willing to share your struggle and share your story are, are so helpful with other people who may be experiencing something similar or you know, on the path to head down that road. And you're 32, which now I realize you're significantly younger than me, which makes me feel really old. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, from a youth perspective, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, seeing these stories, hearing these stories, I mean, like, okay, these are my, these are kind of my options. I can go down this road and experience all these really, really hard things, Mm -hmm. or I can find a different outlet or find help to identify a different Mm -hmm. outlet. Um, and you mentioned that you started really 18 to 22 were kind of the the hard years. Yep. Do you remember at what age you first tried drinking or any drugs? Yes. Um, it was really this kind of, you know, slow roll for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, first time I drank was uh, 13 or 14. I know for sure the first time I really got drunk was uh, eighth grade freshman year. Uh, you know, fresh freshman year was just a little bit every once in a great while on the weekends, you know. Uh, at a friend's house taking, you know, their parents' booze when they were sleeping or something like that. And it was all just, you know, us goofing off and, you know, all fun and games in the beginning. And it's like freshman year and my sophomore year, I think I tried marijuana for the first time. And that was like, oh, that was different. And then junior year, it was, you know, smoking weed more often. And then by senior year and the end of senior year, it was smoking weed every day. And then it was the summer after senior year that it was hard stuff and trying other stuff and just stuff that you can't take back. And Yeah. So do you remember any prevention messaging in school, like any programs that tried to teach you about drugs or um, why to stay away from them? And if so, what were they? I definitely remember D.A.R.E. And I do think I remember seeing like a, the commercials on TV. And I say, I think I do because in our research for the project for you guys, I looked up all that stuff. So it was like, I was like, okay, I remember this. Or did I remember seeing this when I was a kid? I know some of them I had seen, but I think more than anything, it was there. And that's what it was for so so many of us kids in the Mm nineties. Did you, was dare just something that you had to get through in school or did you, did you take anything away from it? I truly, uh, I don't think I can honestly remember because I was so young. Uh, I think actually I can 
I almost have like a visual memory of being like in dare at a, you know, the school I went to in early middle school, I think. And I remember like the officer and I can, you know, always remember that logo and the hat, but like, that's the extent of it. So it's hard to say like, you know, I guess what that did for me. Yeah. Do you remember any prevention messaging at home? Like, did you, did your parents talk to you about drugs and alcohol, aunts, uncles, you know, anybody that you remember other than just hanging out with your friends and kind of getting your information from peers who are also doing the same things you're doing? Tr- yeah, truly, I, I can't remember. And that's surpri- surprisingly, just thinking about that now in the moment, like I'm almost surprised I, ha- I haven't asked my parents that. But, you know, I grew up in a really big family, seven kids. Uh, my parents are small business owners. So, you know, we're just a lot of chaos with a lot of brothers. And, and you know, back then it was like I spent so much time with my friends too, which was awesome. Where kids nowadays, I feel like a little bit less during the school week. You know, where I grew up riding my bike down the road after school to go into friend's house and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely, especially now with virtual schooling. I mean, and yeah, everything like that, especially. there's definitely more FaceTime with parents for sure. Yeah. Um, which has its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, as a parent, I can, t- I can <laughs> say that out loud. <laughs> I can attest to that too. <laughs> um, so you have kids. How old are your kids? Yes. Uh, 12, 8, and 2 years old. 12, 8, and 2. Two boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. So 12 and 8, 2 is a little young yet, yeah, but definitely. <laughs> 12 and 8, are you starting to have conversations with them about drugs and alcohol, about your experiences, things that they're maybe experiencing? Yes. Uh, with my 12-year-old and I guess starting at 11 in the last year, I have. And then truly with this project that we're working on, I've been kind of, well, I have to point out some context. My uh, oldest son, Carter, he is in this video for Breakwater. He is one of the lead uh, talent uh, for one of the kids. And so it's been kind of fun actually having this project because I've had to almost be more open about the project. And I didn't just like lay it all on him. I've kind of like, you know, the video, we shot this video over the course of, uh, you know, it was five different shoot days, I believe, and over the course of a couple of weeks. And so I kind of like built up with him, like letting him into the project. And so that was kind of unique. Um, but I think last year, he was 11. That was the first time we had like a true conversation. And how did that go? Good. I mean, it, it wasn't just about, you know, uh, it wasn't just about uh, drugs and alcohol, but that was brought up. It was kind of like um, I felt like he was going through some things at the time and that he just kind of needed more me. He needed more dad time. He needed his dad to open up to him. And I could feel that. And so I picked him up one day, like we had planned this. I picked him up from school. Like I let the school know I was going to pick him up early because I needed more than like that 40 minute lunchtime. Sure. I knew I needed like an hour and a half. So like I picked him up, we picked up lunch and we went and parked like somewhere looking out on the water. And we had just one of those like heart to hearts in the car. And one of my big things was like, I wanted to let him know, uh, let him in a little bit on my past. And because one of the biggest things for me is that when I changed my life around, I had to be very honest with myself about all the things that happened, all the bad things were because of the choices that you made, Alex, you know? And even though I was a kid, like I wasn't thinking about that then, but looking back, it was like, yeah, I made a lot of bad choices. And, you know, maybe it would have been helpful to have someone talk to me about this, you know, just even more so the choices I was making. And so I wanted to just, uh, he was actually asking me around that time last year, just about a year, year and a half ago, that he was asking me like questions about my past. And if I'm being really honest, part of that too is because I'm not with his mom anymore too. And so we had split up when he was two years old. So and that was around the time when I changed my life around. Sure. 
so he knows that kind of like the weight of my story also you know falls into you know me not being with his mom and so but I knew that like in me telling my story and some of that with him I could help him and I can potentially help him make the right choice or say no two three years down the road when someone's asking him to do something that he shouldn't be doing yeah and I think you know we're not really people to our kids, right? Like your mom, your dad, but you're not really a person. How many times do you hear when you're having that that kind of fight or bickering of like, you don't, you just don't know, you don't understand. And it's like, well, actually I do because I've been there and I've been through it. But as parents, I don't think we're very good at kind of bearing our soul or opening up like you did with your son to be like, hey, I do know, and here's why I know, and here's how much it sucked, and here's what I still carry around with me, and this is what I don't want for you, and this is why. And, and that's, I just got to say, I think that's such a good point right there. It's so easy to forget that. And, like, I always felt like I was going to be really good about that because, especially with my son, my oldest son, I became a dad at, you know, at such a young age, at 19. So, like, I've almost had this, like, thought, like, I'm going to be this young, cool dad. Like, <laughs> that's not going to matter. Like, I got the in because I'm young. No, not necessarily. And the older I get very quickly here, I just make a lot of dad jokes and I'm getting <laughs> older, feels like by the months and not years. <laughs> yeah, I think typically we don't come around to the realization that our parents are actually people who struggle with things until we become parents. And we're like, I sincerely apologize for everything that happened after the age of six months. <laughs> I was unreasonable and expected way too much. <laughs> But, yep. you know, as a teenager, when you're so deep in everything to be, I mean, being a teenager is stressful. Mm-hmm. And when you don't feel like you have an outlet, you don't feel like you have anyone that understands, You, it's easy to make choices that feel good now without thinking about the consequence of later. Completely. And, and one thing, I mean, we don't even have to fully get into it now, but I, I love that you mentioned it, is having that outlet. Because truly, for me, I think one of the biggest things was that I didn't have an outlet I had things that I talked about and I wanted to do. Like, I remember I had a photography class in high school. Uh, I, like, I loved it, but I also cared more about, like, fitting in and being the cool kid and, like, going to parties where I think Alex would have really loved to, like, be out even by himself shooting with a camera more and starting that at a younger age. I remember getting a, you know, a Mac Mini and, like, wanting to get into video stuff, but I didn't because, again, I cared more about doing those other things. And so my biggest thing for me eventually when I changed my life around at 22 was, uh, you know, after I went to treatment or like even when I was in treatment, like I started thinking about my dreams. I started even saying it to people, even though I wasn't even like there, like saying like, I want to make videos or films or this and not even knowing that that was actually going to happen. I was like speaking things into existence, but it wasn't until I got clean early in my 20s that I gave myself the chance to find my outlet. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people miss that. Like when I used to speak to schools, it used to be about like not even about changing my life around, but it was about finding my passions. And I would give my story as the backbone too that I had to stop that stuff essentially to find my passion, which was, you know, it was making videos and it was also at the time music. I used to do a lot with uh, music and spoken word poetry and stuff like that. Well, le- I mean, let's let's get into it. And I think, you know, having an outlet is very important. And, you know, you said like, if I would have had the opportunity to go out on my own shooting, mm-hmm. but then you also say at the p- time you were more concerned about being the cool kid and fitting in and going to the parties. And what do you think? Or I know hindsight is always twenty twenty, and it's always easy to go back and critique the past. 100%. But do you think there was, there is something that could have 
changed your trajectory? And if so, what would that thing be? Or do you think you took the path you took and nothing was going to derail you from that? I mean, that is such a good question and a hard one to answer. So I'm just going to like almost because I want to give this just real answer, just kind of spit what's coming to my head. And one thing that I never had was, uh, and I've done a little bit of this, and I again, I don't know if this would have, but, uh, you know, like a mentor. Mm-hmm. Or like, uh, I know this is hard because like in, you know, school systems, we have our systems in our ways, right? And classes we go to during the day and, our, you know, the periods and certain times we got to be there. <laughs> but like, uh, I've personally done some, after I changed my life around, mentoring at Boys and Girls Club. Now, I'd like to think that would, you know, make a difference in a, in a kid's life. But I wonder that looking back because I never had anything like that. You know, I had my, had my brothers and my parents and, and friends in school. Right. But what if there were other things, you know, outside of, which again, I think dare had a middle school, not high school. I, th- I think dare was middle school. Yeah. 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 Um, but like, I'm almost thinking like of, well, one, I think if it was talked about more in school two, I can only think of, like, in class, uh, it being talked about, because uh, I went to a private school, just to give context, I went to a private school from kindergarten to eighth grade, and then public school from freshman year to uh, senior year. But the only time I remember that stuff being talked about was, like, uh, health class freshman year. There was a few, not even all on substance abuse, but, like, where, um, you know, people struggling would come in and talk, but, again, it wasn't always drug-related. I specifically remember uh, one on suicide. Okay. Outside of that, that's all I remember it being talked about in school. So now thinking, I'm like, what if it was talked about more in school? Uh, what if there was someone talking to me and not even like an adult, but like, what if someone in their twenties or something or a college student who I would have looked at like, okay, he's not a parent. This guy's cool. Right. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the tricky zone, right? Because so I also went to a Christian school from third grade to eighth grade and then back to public high school. Ah. So I think, you know, with the private schools, there's a little bit, I mean, depending on which mm-hmm. private school and which religion-based school, there's a little bit of, you know, head in the sand, just say no, abstinence mm-hmm. is is what the sex ed is, but there's really not a lot of talk about prevention or education, right? Because there's this fear of, if I talk about it, they're going to want to go try it. I will pique their curiosity, which I think I've never really understood that because, Knowledge is power, right? And you yes. s- you want to educate kids on everything else, right? Mm-hmm. But w- why would we not want to provide them information that can help them make real-life, real-time choices? Completely. And I, I think definitely we could use more of that information. So what are your – are your kids getting any prevention messaging in school? I mean, we talked about, you know, you're talking with them at home. You're starting to have those discussions. and But do you, are you aware of anything they're getting at school? Uh, I don't believe they are yet. Yeah, a little young yet. Yeah, a little young. Do they, when you talk to your son, did he mention anything or throughout the process of filming this video, did you get any feedback from the youth that was involved about what they're hearing, what they're seeing, and how that related to what was being shown in the video? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the coolest things was not even, it didn't all, you know, all revolve around substance abuse, but one of the big things we realized, you know, we had to bring like a classroom scene to life. And so just even the chit-chat and chatter of how those kids look and talk in class beforehand, I'm like, okay, I'm 32. I don't necessarily <laughs> know how that looks now, right? Like, I can ask my son all day, but what I really need is a group of them together. And so before we started, we asked them, like, okay, how would this look? And they all brought, like, little ideas of what the class was like. Or there was a scene where a girl was acting sad, and then there was a scene where a kid was, like, the cool kid, and he was being mean. 
And people did give like legit feedback on that and how kids act or treat each other, how they can be mean. And I thought that was really interesting too. And I could just tell that at that age, words matter so much, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, they carry that stuff with them. So that was a really good reminder in like, okay, well one, we need to make this look real too, but it's got to be authentic to them because if kids at that age of let's say 12 to 14, we kind of were hitting two age groups, the, that age of uh, later middle school. And then also like uh, high school, um, but specifically we had 16 to 17 year olds in there. And it was like, hey, this has to be real to them. And so they gave a lot of insight on that. Um, we tried really not to, I guess, in the midst of shooting, like get too personal, you know, because if something w- would have uh, arose while we were filming, I would have felt like, you know, we would have had to, you know, maybe pull them to the side and talk to them. And I didn't know if I had, you know, all the kind of power to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talking to kids, talking to each other, but talking to kids is scary because you don't want to say the wrong thing, yeah. especially if it's somebody else's kid. Yes. And, you know, as parents, we're all protective and sometimes that looks differently. And what I think is OK to, for my children to hear, see, mm-hmm. is maybe different than what you think is OK for your children to hear and see. And it's a scary line to cross. Mm-hmm. You know, and one other thing that we talked about when we kind of decided to to record this podcast is parents talking to other parents, right? Because we all have questions about, and I think we all struggle with this of one day I'm going to have to talk to my kids about drugs, about alcohol, about sex, about whatever. And what do I say? What do I don't, what do I not say? How honest is too honest? And like, cause you don't want to cross that line of, you don't want to scare them, right? You don't want to go with the scare, scare tactics because we know that doesn't work. But you also don't want to like almost start getting nostalgic and tell them these stories. And then they think, yeah, that sounds fun. Like you used to be cool. Let me go try that. So how do you as a parent navigate that and and start the conversation and keep the conversation going, balancing those two ends of the spectrum? That is a really hard (laughs) question. So one of, so I guess the best example and way for me to answer that is really to think back to that conversation that I had with my son. I knew that uh, my story involves so much and is so intense at times, uh, especially towards the end of it, if we're talking me at 21 and 22 before I changed things around. Like there was no way and no, I knew that there was no way I should tell my son all of those right. things, right? And definitely not at 11 or 12. But could I start softly talking to him? about my past and how I did this or change it around and be not to say basic or dumb things down, but almost like open that world up to him. And you made that good point too, of how sometimes kids, you know, they look at their parents like you're just my parents, right? Like you're not this person or this individual who has struggled, right? Well, what if I opened him up to, you know what, your dad has struggled a lot. And I slowly just kind of open that wound and share that with him. And then over time, not just one conversation, but several. That could be several over the course of, I wouldn't even say weeks, I would say months. Because like that conversation that I'm bringing up that I had with him a year ago, that's still not done. Mm -hmm. I still like, we kind of, you know, if I'm being really honest, at the time he was kind of struggling. He was kind of struggling emotionally, you know, nothing with substitutes or (laughs) nothing like that. But I just felt like he needed to know that I struggled. Mm -hmm. And I know that he wondered about my story and so I opened that and that, and I think it helped him a lot. Like he just gave me the biggest hug when that was done. Actually, I think we were both maybe in slight tears at one point, you know, towards the end of that. And just where we're at now, a year later, 
we're just in a really good spot and our relationship is in a really good spot. And, uh, you know, I think both me and him can, you know, be a little bit more like sensitive and we kind of share that now too. And I think that's neat, but I feel like I know as he gets closer to 13 and 14, I will have to almost open up more about my story and, and share more because I know personally for me, my story where things went array was when I made those decisions at 13, 14 to do that stuff because I opened Pandora's box. Yeah. And it was like, once it was open, it was just like, that's wild. That's fun. I want more. I'm not going to think about the consequences. Yeah. And that's the problem is, you know, is what you want your kids to know is there are just so many consequences for the actions and the choices we make. Yeah. And I mean, as, as adolescents, as teens, you're not, designed to think about consequences even as young adults even sometimes now you know at 36 years old it's like hey I this sounds really cool but then this is going to happen and that's going to snowball and the kids are going to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and it's going to be a whole thing and like even now sometimes it's like you're you're tempted to just do what sounds good now and not think about the after effects so it's almost unreasonable to expect teens adolescents to do that on their own without some help and support from those around them and especially not to do that on their own without any sort of education or context on the subject and even just opening the door to that relationship right that that conversation really setting the groundwork so that he knows he has a safe place to come to Mm -hmm. be like hey you know what I'm really struggling with this can I just talk through it with you or I just need a soft place to land or whatever the case may be. I mean, that is, is a really powerful thing too. Mm -hmm. And right now you bring up like the conversation is ongoing. So DHS has a campaign out right now called small talks and we've done a little bit of a promoting with it and I've seen billboards up and down the highway and stuff. And it's a really cool concept because it talks about how like the age to start talking to your kids, like around eight or nine, start having these small talks Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind it is that it doesn't have to be a big conversation. It doesn't have to be intimidating because it is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But kids are taking in information from the world around them all the time. So if they're seeing mom or dad or whoever have, you know, a a beer every day after work or a glass of wine with dinner or cocktails or what have you, or every time you go over to a friend's house or you walk over to the neighbor's and you're drinking, you're smoking, you're doing whatever, like they're taking that information in and it's framing their world. And if we're not helping to provide context or structure to that, then they're left to make their own assumptions. And so taking five minutes here and 10 minutes there, you know, while you're in a car together is great because you're kind of have a captive audience, right? And actually, I love that you said that too. Well, everything you said was wonderful, but just even that point right there, like I use car time that's like my time to have like I've noticed even lately the last couple of months is like to have those time to have those little talks because I'm really proud that you know I always take my boys to school in the morning and I'm the one to pick them up and so I use that time of like how how was your day or if I can fit in a little small talk or (laughs) or sometimes honestly it's just being silly and playing music but that is a really good time I feel like because they're just like they're open ears in that moment. You can have get more information out of a five-minute car conversation with somebody than you can in a one-hour meeting because it's you're not looking eye to eye you know you're sitting across from each other there's little opportunity to make direct eye contact especially if you're the one driving and it's just there's no timeline to respond it's silence is okay and so it's a really non-intimidating opportunity 
to ask a question and wait for a response. And asking questions, even of our kids, of like, hey, what what do you know about this? Or have you heard anything about, you know, this new kind of alcohol or, you know, edibles coming out of this place? Like asking questions is really helpful too. And understanding where they're at so you can meet them there and allow them to ask you questions, I think is really good. I like that. And I, and I think too, like just everything you said too, in the last couple of minutes makes me think about just our culture and how much more we could be talking about these things. Like if you think about, uh, for example, right now, uh, you go on social media and you just see so much political stuff and, and you see obviously what we've all, you know, dealt with this year with COVID and just everyone has their opinions and whatnot, but I don't see, you don't see a lot of prevention stuff or this or that, you know, it's like, we could use more of that out there. We could use more of us, uh, talking about it. And I think one thing for me too, I just wanted to point out, so I didn't forget, but, um, one time I used to work at a uh, co-working space. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different kinds of people there, uh, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and just an awesome group of different people coming through there every day. And so I got to know some of the regular people that worked out of there. And there was this uh, this one lady, and uh, I didn't know her too well, but, you know, we started having over, like, months just little conversations here and there, like uh, when she would stop in and, and see her husband who was working. And one time she, you know, was talking to me about her son. Oh, because her son went to school, like, when uh, with my son when they were younger. Oh, cool. It was just, like, one year when they were younger, and this is now five years down the road, okay? And she, like, brought up about how she had this conversation with her son, uh, this personal conversation about, and she had, like, about substance abuse. And I was really surprised because, like, she hadn't struggled with that or anything. And I just, I thought it was really cool how she was talking to me about that. And at the time, this was like two years ago. So this was actually just about six, nine months before I ever spoke to my son. And it almost like inspired me. I was like, okay, here's so-and-so. And she's speaking to her son about that. Like, that's really cool. Like, I should be doing that more. You know what I mean? And, but I felt like that was so rare. That was so rare for me to hear another parent, you know, sharing that story too. Especially again, because we, you know, didn't know each other super well. Um, but I think that's a good point. Like the more that, again, we can talk about it share with other parents and yeah and I think you know as a parent in like in the parent community right it's you're still almost protected you maybe have a a one or two close friends that you kind of really share the the struggle of parenthood with but even sometimes it doesn't really go beyond the joke of it um, and you don't really get honest and I wonder if there are groups out there like parents that are actively talking about what's your kid saying? What's, you know, this is what my kid is telling me. How are you talking to them about substance use, about the the dangers, the consequences, that kind of stuff? How do you think I should, or I want to have this conversation? What do you recommend? Um, Because I feel like there's a a space for that and definitely a need for that for parents to just have that safe space as much as it is for kids to have the safe space to say, hey, I'm struggling. Like there needs, there's a space for that that parents too to say hey how do I what's the best way for me to talk about this or what's how do I what do I avoid kind of thing completely and I think we're also new to this world of like uh in some ways like if you talk about like let's say time for example in, in our parents well if we look at our parents us in our 30s okay but our parents, and they're growing up, things were much more like you wouldn't talk like that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, for our parents and their parents, they wouldn't be, you know, that stuff was kept in their households. A lot a lot more stuff was ta- yep. taboo topics. And I think we almost have to acknowledge where our culture has gone in the last 
40, 30, <laughs> even 10, <laughs> 20 years. And, and last 10 with social media where a lot more things that weren't once talked about publicly are now and are shared. And there's also positives in that too, like of how I'm thinking about, you know what, why, why aren't more people, why am I not sharing more about, you know, preventative stuff or, or trying to have more conversations like that with people, real conversations. <laughs> yeah. And you've seen that happen with mental health, right? Like you've yeah, seen people exactly. be a lot more honest with their struggles with depression, anxiety, social anxiety. And I think that's great. I think it's fantastic, yep. but you don't really see it yet with substance, uh, substance use. There's still a lot of shame and stigma attached to it. And even now, right? So pandemic drinking has become a class of its own. I've heard and, about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not just in Wisconsin, but like across the the nation and almost weekly, you see stories on pandemic drinking across the news channels. And in particular, it's been affecting women in their 30s, you know, uh, like the the stay at home mom group or, you know, the women who work and have kids and they're having to manage everything on top of virtual schooling. And speaking of social media that you go there and it's either a political meme or it's a meme about day drinking or essential grocery items being mostly alcohol um, or Zoom happy hours or something along those lines. So you go into the grocery store and like buy all the actual essential food items. It's limit of two, limit of one. But then you walk into the liquor department and there's a big sign that says no limits on alcohol. So you think about the messages that's sending not only to our youth, but to our to everybody of all ages. 100 percent. One thing that like that's just a, a great reference to and, and point of context, because even in those first couple of months of COVID, I think that's where like my heart was for people was like, I was like kind of worried about uh, people with mental illness, the, all the self-isolation and what else would come with that. You know, I mean, I even found myself uh, isolated at times. I mean, I was working in my studio for mm -hmm. two months with no one around, barely anyone downtown. It was <laughs> weird and creepy, you know, and like I had to like really be careful about like, okay, I'm talking to people. Okay. I'm going home at this time to see my kids going home a little bit earlier and yeah. Yeah. But uh, what I'm getting at is I don't think enough of that stuff was talked about. There is all the all the jokes and the fun stuff and political stuff online, but not maybe enough people. And this goes for me, too, you know, of checking in on people. Yeah. And you know, we almost need to be more bold and vocal in <laughs> those conversations uh, just, you know, to show we care and to help other people. Because, I mean, that's what this world should be all about is us helping one one another to make it a better place in, in our community. Yeah. Well, and so October is National Substance Use Prevention Month, um, and it coincides with the launch of our new brand, Breakwater, yes. and the launch of this podcast. And a big goal for the coalition, and the podcast is part of the strategy to meet that goal, is to help provide a space for those conversations, to help encourage those conversations. Maybe they start here and carry through the community. Maybe they start at, you know, coalition meetings or different activities or whatever place you're able to start those conversations, whether it's with peer group, parent to parent, parent to child, or child to child. You know, teenagers Completely. need to talk to each other about this stuff too. I've heard that's, from that's a great point too. I've heard from students recently, you know, last year at the end of the school year, before everything got shut down, working with, you know, a group of community students out of Oshkosh Area School District and you know, it's like, yeah, I feel like everyone I know does drugs or drink alcohol. So I don't really 
have any friends because like it's me and this one other person I hang out with because we're the only ones in the school not smoking or drinking which clearly it's not only two out of the entire school that's not smoking and drinking but it can feel like that when you're a teenager or people say like yeah I don't really like to but I will every now and then just because like I don't want to be the one that doesn't or like I don't want to lose my friends because I say no or I don't want to or I tell them they shouldn't do it. So I think there are more kids out there who don't want to smoke, don't want to drink, don't want to try drugs. And we need to like we need to celebrate them, too. And they need to feel comfortable talking about that with each other as well. Yeah, I agree with that very much. And I think I think we as parents forget about that, about how much kids talk to one another. Or again, uh, it's you bring up social media how much that they are sharing with each other on social media. Like I'm you saying all that makes me think, you know what? Yeah. You forget about how much they're telling a friend or this and that and how that matters a lot too. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're in high school, your friends are your life, yeah. right? Like they are your support system. Even if you're really close to your family, there's just certain things that you only talk to your friends about. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you're not even, you don't even have that person, that friend to like just, fall apart in front of or offload to because you're always taking on everybody else's problems. That's a big deal. And that's hard. I agree. You mentioned that you started around 13, 14 years yep. old, experimenting with dr- or alcohol and then moving into marijuana and then yep. others from there. And we kind of talked about, you know, prevention messaging in school, prevention messaging at home. What you did have was ineffective and potentially if you would have had a mentor or access to some other outlet video photography something like that it could have changed your course Mm -hmm. and we do know that kids who try alcohol marijuana other substances before the age of 18 are more likely to develop a substance use disorder later in life which rang true for you Mm -hmm. but one thing i want to touch on yet before we wrap this up is what was it at 22 years old that finally made you go you know what I need to change I need to get some help I'm interested in getting help and what as a coalition can we do to help prevent either prevent substance use from happening with youth Mm -hmm. or help encourage people to reach out to services if they need them completely okay so that's a big question (laughs) maybe two questions so first one uh kind of what was my you know what made me decide to change things around yeah that's even kind of a, it's maybe a, a, a long answer. Uh, I'll try and keep it short. But I always say that I kept redefining rock bottom. I mean, I was getting in trouble. This wasn't just like, uh, you know, I was losing a job or, you know, had problems with drugs at that point, whatever. I was getting in trouble with the law. I was, you know, uh, about to be in court fighting for my son. I had like so many things going on. There was red flag after red flag of I had a problem and I needed to get help. And so from 21 to 22 in that year, it was just redefining rock rock bottom. And it was, finally, I got to a point in a moment, I'm not going to explain the whole situation, what happened, but it ended with um, kind of a couple of day bender and just things were really bad. Uh, My mom showed up in my apartment. Um, I didn't even know what was going on. I was so out of it. And I got up and she asked me, like, I think you need, need help. Will you go? to rehab and I just remember stopping in that moment flashback of just even the last year and all these bad things and it was like oh my gosh like what have I done like I need help 
Thank God for mom. She's right. So yeah, I, yeah, I give I give my mom and my parents because uh, you know that's all. One thing I always say too is I'm a really good example of someone who came from a really good home and great parents and all that stuff and still made a lot of bad choices. So I don't have all these things to blame it on. You know what I mean? And but and you know my parents helped me get out of it and just offered such a good su- support system. But some people don't have that support mm-hmm. system. And my heart is there for them so much because I don't think I would have personally been able to do it or continue because it wasn't just one decision there. It right. was, oh my gosh, it was 22 to 25 of working on it myself and, and things like that. And, you know, I did have to go through the court system for a little bit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of right little choices along the way to continue staying on the right track. Well, it's a daily choice, right? Like yes. each of us, you know, we wake up, we make our choice on how that day is going to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's not a, okay, I went to treatment or I went to a meeting or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. It's a daily decision. Completely. What, and, you know, you you asked what the coalition t- can do. I just, I think I look at it from a community perspective. Uh, as a parent, it's I kind of look at it all as one and I just kind of am left with, I would love to see more out there. I would love to see more conversations happening. I would love to see it more in schools. I would love to see more content about this topic uh, in different ways that would appeal to kids seeing it and reading it, that if they popped up on social media, it was shown in a way. Truly, I think the way that we created the video for you guys and the project we are working on right now, it does have the potential to you know just stop someone because they're almost just so intrigued that they're going to pull and learn something from it. Um, another thing I don't want to forget either that you mentioned is, uh, I think one thing that always stuck out to me after I changed my life around, you know, I, I learned a lot about like, uh, you know, the things I'd done. One thing that always stood out to me too, was how, you know, and you touched on this, that your brain is not fully developed, you know? And so when you are using, uh, if when you're drinking and using drugs at a young age and especially doing a lot of it, it really does kind of change your, your brain and, those are things I didn't even know about, you know, and I mean, that's a hard one to kind of explain and, and you know, and, and get information out there and get a kid to care about more importantly. Mm-hmm. But it's one that I've thought about many times. Like, you know, it's almost like if you would at least wait until you're older, like you think about how kids experiment in college. And mm-hmm. that's almost like a, a common and OK thing in our culture. Well, that story is a lot better than uh, trying it in middle school and high school. And I mean, I'm not promoting any avenue of that, but it's almost like the later that that's happening or people are are experimenting too is almost so much safer for them too. Yeah. And I don't think that's something you hear a lot about. It's just uh, it's one of those like statistics that always stuck with me of like, yeah, wow. There was a saying uh, in the recovery community that like when you – and I don't know how much like this holds true, but there's a saying, again, that always stuck with me, too, that when you start using the age that you start using, that is kind of like and when you eventually stop, your brain goes back to like that age in some ways of kind of like refiguring things out from a clean and sober lifestyle. Or like impulse control and yeah. decision making. Yeah. And, and there's some stuff that I've yeah personally seen where I'm like, OK, I, I get that. <laughs> again, maybe not the full degree on all of it. You know, it's not like you resort back to 14 at uh, 22 or something. But. <laughs> but it does make sense where like for that many years, you've been making decisions under the influence of whatever. Mm-hmm. So to to work through the decision making process, you know, free of external influence. Yes. 
is I can definitely see where that would be a learning curve. Well, and t- to kind of piggyback off the, off that, I am a firm believer that, um, or like, and for me personally, that I have this just addictive personality that I do think I had that at a young age, but it, and there is like some history with like, you know, I think my grandpa had a little bit of alcoholism. And so, and I, and I do believe that that does transfer over in our genes, but also that, you know, if I didn't make those decisions, I would have gave myself that much better of a chance. You know what I mean? If I would have held off, um, where if I already had that addictive nature, <laughs> you know, and then I did those things, then I just fast tracked that addictive nature and my, you know, brain style and my choices and the way I work. And yeah, that could have been prevented. So you mentioned that one thing you want you would love to see in the future and you would love to see the coalition accomplish is, you know, more information out there, build more awareness, share more information, specifically things that kids or youth would like see and latch on to. Yes. Is information enough or what do we need to do to translate that information into action of some sort, whether it's youth having or parents having the conversation with each other after seeing some information or kids being able to say, you know what, I'm going to not drink or do drugs today. Yes. Or uh, I would say, I did say about getting the information out there, but a- as you say that back and we have talked about that, the conversation with parents, I think that almost matters more, but having more information out there doesn't hurt. And even me as a parent, I'm like, well, the truth is, and, and I have a history of dealing with this. I could use more information, you know, we all could, <laughs> But I think it is seeing more information, that stuff out there within our community. But then it's also uh, parents and people taking action to speak with their kids about it. I would love to see it more in the school system, too. So then it's just it's circulating. It's circulating from their age. Let's say it's middle school. It's circulating with us parents and our friends. Right. And then it's circulating in, uh, you know, in the schools with teachers and their friends. And then it's just going all around the community. And it's that that message out there and more of it that has, I think, the power to prevent. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today on the show, Alex. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing that video come out and working with you in the future. I can't wait. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it.